You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Eric Scroggins, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Man, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Brian, thank you so much. Thank you so much for making space today for me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you. We're going to go into some pretty deep waters with respect to your upbringing and some things that happened, and then how God brought incredible healing to those experiences. So please, Eric, share a bit about your backstory, where you grew up, and those experiences. I grew up, for the most part, in the Pacific Northwest. I was raised by a mom and a dad, very traditional family. I have a brother and two sisters, and we were, for the most part, a a fairly nuclear family. And looking from the outside in, a fairly normal family, struggling to make ends meet, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and growing up in middle America, trying to do the best that we can. But during the sort of my young teen years, by the time I was 13 to, to about the time I was 16, my father, who I learned later, it's going to be a very weird and twisted story, but my father, who I learned much later was my stepfather, was taking advantage of me and sexually abusing me from the time I was 13 to the time I was about 16 years old. Mm. And that tainted my life. That created a a mark on me. Again, from the outside looking in, nobody would know this, but because I was really good at hiding and really good at hiding things. And it began to take me on a journey that was not real pleasant. I was a pretty shy kid anyway. I was I was kind of hiding from society, didn't have a tremendous amount of friends, and had some confidence issues and all of those kind of things growing up. And my dad slash stepdad took advantage of that vulnerability during those years of my life. And it was pretty challenging to make it through it. It really changed a lot of things in my mindset and my head. And I began to retreat more. In fact, when I, when this all came out, when the testimony came out, I have an uncle that's pretty close to me. And he looked back at some of the childhood videos and he goes, oh my gosh, why didn't I see this? It was that experience that, you know, as a parent, you absolutely are fearful of, but it was happening sort of right in the middle of everything with my dad. He was a pretty disturbed guy. So it set my life on, a, on an interesting trajectory from there. I'm a psychologist. My doctorate's in psychology, and I work with a lot of people, and many people respond to this kind of behavior by depression, addiction, you know, addicted personality. They get involved in things trying to numb that. That wasn't my way of coping. My way of coping was to attempt to excel at everything that I did insanely so. I couldn't do anything without trying to be the very best at it because I needed to cover up what was going on and have people not ask me questions about what might be happening in my private life. Wow. And that was my question that I was going to ask is, how did you respond to that? And it was by performance overachieving, right? Overachieving. I was in sports. I was in weightlifting. I was in weightlifting courses and classes and training and was trying to beat every record at my weight class. And then I was a wrestler and I was trying to dominate on the mat and just really attempting in every way possible to be the best. Now, I wasn't, you know, an all-star athlete or anything like that, but in my mind, I was going for the gold and everything I could do so that people would look at that and not look at 
the behavior, things that were going on in my heart and my life. How did this come out? You said it ended around 16 years of age. It ended at 16, but I hid it. In fact, I had a pretty serious altercation with my stepfather and then joined the military and continued that behavior in the military. I was, I was in the army, traveled overseas, and even in the military, like it, I was disconnected from the actual abuse anymore, but I was still in that mode of performance. I was the commanding general awards winner in basic training. I was a top soldier in our platoon and advanced training. I was ranking as fast as I possibly could when I got to permanent duty assignment. So I was in this mode right now. I'm in this performance mode and everything about me is move forward, take advantage, take advantage, take advantage, compete, compete, you know, be the best, everything. I was all fitness in the military. I was running the two mile in record times for the military, not record times for a track athlete, but for a soldier, I was running pretty fast and performing pretty well. And this was my life. I, until I was about to marry my wife and all of a sudden this guy kind of leaked out a little bit of what had happened, but not a lot. I told my mom and my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, about to become my wife, just a little bit of what happened, but it, but they didn't really even dig into that. And so it wasn't until after I published my book and wrote a chapter on this abuse, that's when a healing started and sort of the gushing experience happened while I was pastoring a church in Tacoma. And my wife and I had gotten away. Things were very hard and difficult and there was tons of pressure and we got away for a weekend and then God just opened the floodgates. We sat down for dinner at a restaurant and I didn't even get to the food. I started crying and bawling and I did that for 12 hours. Wow. And there was no more hiding. I now know this. I didn't know it at the time, but God was literally saying to me, you can't hide any places of your heart. I want it all. How old were you at the time you wrote this book and this chapter came out in it? I was 44 when I published the book. I had been hiding this since I was 16. Wow. Um, only leaking it out briefly right before I married my wife. And then it all came out to her when I was like 35, 36. We were pastoring a church. And this experience happened at this restaurant. So it's roughly 20 years. It had been inside of me and not coming out. I wouldn't let it out. It sounds as if the Lord used the book as a means to start breaking the logjam so you could get freedom. He used the book as the impetus to complete healing. He used the pressures of my life at the time we were pastoring our church to open up this area of my heart. So it was 10 years previous to the book. He used that as the beginning. So I know people feel that like you've, you're you in that place where things aren't going right. Finances aren't going right. Life's not going right. I mean, you're in this pressure cooker of life. And it was at that moment where God chose, I want that place in your heart. Hmm. I want that place that you've been hiding, that you've done a great job packaging and making beautiful, but it's still ugly to me. And I want that place. Okay. So let's say someone's hearing this right now. And they're in that space of hiding. They've been there and they truly want to be set free, but they're afraid to bring it out into the light. What would you say to them? If they're a believer, I would tell them that God's going to get to that place one way or the other. He doesn't want our partial heart. He wants all of our heart. He wants the good. He wants the bad. He wants the ugly. He wants the broken. He wants the wounded. He wants the hurt. And so God is going to get to that place eventually, if you continue to follow him. He's not going to let you end your life 
having hidden that place from yourself and from him. And so I would say, you know, you have that place. I would begin to find a trusted advisor or a person that you love or a person that you can trust and begin opening up and becoming vulnerable about that place. Don't do it the way that I did it. The way I did it, it was as if it was being ripped out of me rather than me handing it over to him. Big difference. Big difference. Over this 10-year period, things, it sounds like, were really coming to a head. Then the book was released. What happened after that, Eric? So 10 years from this sort of gushing experience, and now I'm writing this book. And in the book, I deal with chapter 7, ironically, chapter 7 is healing the pain of your past. And so there's this story of what I have been through in the book. First of all, writing that chapter was tear-stained keyboard, writing about my own experience and weeping over the keyboard as I'm writing. And as the book is in publish, two things happen. The first is I realize my family doesn't know this story. And here a book is at the publisher ready to come out. And everybody is going to know the story. So I probably should have this conversation with my family. And so I called my mom and then my brother and my two sisters and met with them and talked to them through it. And my brother tells an interesting story about my dad starting to groom him in that process. But because I had the altercation with my dad, it literally stopped everything. So my brother was protected Mm. through my experience. And then I finished those meetings and conversation and I just hear the Lord tell me, I'm going to ask you to speak on this topic and you're going to need to say yes. And it wasn't a week after the book came from the printers that I got a phone call from a lady that is an author that deals with post-abuse traumas. And she was hosting a conference and she wanted me to speak. And as the Lord asked, I said, yes. But then I went into this panic mode. How am I going to share this? What am I going to say? How can I talk about this in public? And my wife called a very dear friend of ours who's survived this level of trauma herself. She drove to the house immediately, and for the next two and a half days, we walked through a journey of forgiveness and healing that has forever marked my life as a moment where God began to put me on the path of complete healing versus walking this path of pain and hurt and disappointment and shame and guilt and all of those things. Amazing. What was it that you experienced over that two and a half day period, uh, there are several highlights that you can share that were signposts for what was to come. So I mentioned early that the dad that abused me, I learned later in my life that he was actually my stepdad. So there was a biological father in there that didn't want to have anything to do with me Mm. back in the day. My friend who came and walked me through this journey had me walk through very real testimony about what I was feeling, what this meant to me. And then at the end of that two and a half days, She said, you need to forgive Conrad and you need to forgive Vaughn. What was so weird is that I had an easier time forgiving the man who sexually abused me than I did the man who abandoned me. And I was really struggling. I couldn't form the words I forgive. And I broke through finally. And since that day, I have looked at people who are going through stuff much differently because you never know the depth of the scarring on somebody's wound. What may look like you're dealing with one thing, you may be dealing with something completely different. But I've learned to ask deep questions like this woman did with me. I learned to ask deep questions and try to get as closely as I can to the actual root cause of people's traumas because I know with me, 
the thing that I was most hurt over wasn't the thing that you would have thought should have been the thing that hurt me the most. Yeah. And I realized that as believers, abandonment is a real deal. And it is a real scarring psychological and emotional trauma that many people are dealing with, just like I was. And it's underneath the surface and it's this ickiness. That's a technical term. It's this ickiness (laughs) underneath the surface that was keeping me locked away from fulfilling the thing that God has called me to do. You had a true orphan experience, which affected everything in your relationship to the Father, didn't it? Absolutely. I didn't realize until after this post healing experience that I was treating God very much like the same father that could at any moment call me and say, I don't want anything to do with you. Absolutely. This is rampant, isn't it? Even for those that haven't had a father leave them. I will tell you, Brian, I was shocked. I speak and and preach at conferences and many times I'm dealing with topics in my book and I've chosen to speak on chapter seven quite a bit. And I was in a conference. One was in the U.S. and one was in Mexico. I finished speaking about this abuse that I had and God's ability to heal. And I called for an altar call. And I said, any men that have faced what I've faced, I'd like you to come forward. I'd like to join you in prayer and pray for you. And it shocked me, the number of men that stood up and made their way to the front to to be prayed for that have walked through a very similar experience that I've walked through. Overwhelming. You realize you're not alone, but the other thing is it's rampant in society here and internationally, men and women, but men being abandoned and abused and walking in fear and walking in shame and walking in guilt, walking in anger and bitterness because of what's happened to them with a father, a biological or stepfather, this complete disregard for them. And it just is sitting on humanity in a heavy way. It's overwhelming to hear you share this. So as you were at these conferences and praying for these men, what is it that God has given you to share with these individuals that you found to have the most impact in resurrecting their lives to the truth of who the Father really is? My own journey of healing, you know, going through the experience is not fun. The healing experience I'm talking about, it's not fun. But when you get to the other side, And you see the mercy and the tenderness and the love and the faithfulness of the Father. And that scripture that says he'll never leave you or forsake you becomes very real. And sharing that with these men, that they don't have to walk in shame and that the Father in heaven is not their earthly father that did what they did to us. And that just that loving kindness of him who we serve is it just touches a heart in a different way. And I think having experienced it, there's a difference hearing about it than there is walking through it. And when you walk through it and you experience it for yourself, when you share that testimony, it becomes very tangible for the for people that you're praying with and walking with and talking to. How much of this process, Eric, of healing involves just being quiet before the Lord and hearing his whispers? 90% of it, you realize that there's no psychological analysis or inspirational thought that will solve what you're feeling. It's resting in his presence and hearing his voice and reading his word and standing on those promises that he does stick closer than a brother, that he is our heavenly father and believes good for us. And so 
most of it is shutting up, sitting down, and letting God do what God does so well. I call it heart surgery. It's almost as if he's cutting out the old and putting in a new, but really he's taking the old and making it new. And unless you're willing to just be still and know that he's God and listen, that surgery could take a long time, couldn't it? Yeah, it could be a long, long journey. You know, you asked a moment ago, if there were listeners, what could they do? I think one of the most profound things that we can do is surrender. I can attempt to fix myself or I can let the Father fix me. And just surrendering. There's a lot of people that I work with that are constantly looking for the next thing that they can do. And God isn't looking for you to do. He's looking for you to be. It reminds me of Leif Hetland's book about chair one, two, and three. The book is The Healing of the Orphan Spirit. And most of us live in chair two, which is we are used to doing instead of just being. And we're constantly putting ourselves under pressure to perform and to get things done. And when, in fact, he wants us to be at peace and to rest in him. But that's so difficult for many of us, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It isn't like while you're being, you're not doing something. You are doing something. You're listening and you're digesting and you're contemplating and you're meditating and you're savoring the presence of the Lord. I mean, you are being productive. He's doing what he does so well. And we have to do what we don't do so well, and that's sit and listen. So true. Obviously, there's been a shift in the trajectory of your life where now you are doing some high-level consulting and coaching. That is right. Tell us about that. How did you get into that, Eric? And what's the name of the company? It's Eric Scroggins Coaching and Consulting. Uh, ericscroggins.com is the reference point there. What happened was after I published the book, I was working with a book coach that was kind of helping me put together the structure and what I needed. And he goes, Eric, the story requires that you put at the end of this executive coaching bio, like you need to work with people. I wrote a page at the end of the book that's, you know, said executive coaching. I didn't really have a company or a platform or any of those kind of things to work with. And so I wrote this out here that I would be willing to do some executive coaching. And then the book comes out and I started to get some phone calls. One was my wife's chiropractor at the time had asked to meet with me, asking a bunch of questions that were very similar to questions that I had walked through, things that I had walked through, and started working with him as just one one client. And then I got a, an email from a gentleman that had gotten my book from someone and wanted to talk to me about coaching. And so my coaching is business life and leadership is my platform. And then I have six coaches on my team that do various different things. I have a woman named Kelly that does powerful women's-based coaching and Jeshu, who's on my team, who does marriage and life and leadership and Jim, who does trauma and some adolescent coaching. But my focus is business, life and leadership. And then my wife and I do some marriage coaching. But what I've found in this is that out of the experience that I've had, I'm finding that I'm asking very similar questions and leading people through the journey of forgiveness and healing and acceptance of their role in God's plan. And companies are scaling and individual lives are improving and becoming very productive. It is the most rewarding life work I could possibly have the honor of doing, being able to partner with people in their moment of struggle whether it's in business or in their life or in their marriage, and taking them through a journey where they get to discover their own healing and their own 
disciplines and their own life skills and business skills that help them become successful. So I love every single day. I wake up anticipating getting to do what I do. What a blessing. You know, one of the themes that's been woven through our conversation is the power of forgiveness. And as you coach other people, Eric, I'm curious, how important has that been as a primary focus with your clients? It has been probably the most fundamental step that people have to make in order to move to the places that they want to go. And so I talk about this when I deal with forgiveness, that when you're not living in forgiveness, either for yourself or for those that have hurt you, it's like you're dragging this luggage, heavy, heavy luggage through your life, trying to get to your destiny and destination desperately, but this luggage is sort of weighing you down. And when you can embrace forgiveness, and like I said, either of yourself or those that have hurt you, it's like you're traveling through life with now a little satchel instead of this heavy luggage. Like you're on a hiking journey headed forward rather than trying to cart all this luggage with you. And people need to stop and unpack that luggage. And the way that you do that is through forgiveness. And in many cases, the forgiveness that I'm dealing with is allowing people to forgive themselves. There's a lot of self-loathing and self-destructive beliefs and thoughts that many of the people that I've walked through life with have formed in their lives. And it's helping them to release themselves from the guilt, shame, and trauma that they've either inflicted on themselves or held themselves in for so long. In terms of the process of forgiveness, would you say that's a decision, regardless of feeling, that you have to make and then the feelings eventually follow? What does that look like? To me, 100%. I mean, you literally walked it out. Forgiveness is not a feeling. One of the first questions that I asked after I became a Christian was, how do you forgive? My wife was like, how did you even think to ask a question like that? <laughs> My wife grew up in church, so forgiveness was kind of always there, you know, what they walked through. But here I am, a new guy. I'm 23 years old, and I've got this hurt and this pain, and I'm, I'm like, well, what? I can't see myself forgiving at all. And I came to the place where God taught me that it's not about how I feel about the other person. It's a decision that I make. It's literally a decision that I make, and it's almost a head decision before it's a heart decision. So many people want to have this monumental shifting in their heart. No, 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 that comes second. I need to decide. This is not about you recognizing that what somebody did to you is okay. It's literally releasing you from them. Because forgiveness is about releasing that person from your life and you opening up. You know, when you're not forgiving, it's like you've got a grip, right? You're holding on to this thing with a tight grip. Yeah. Forgiveness is about opening your hand and letting them go and realizing that it's not about them being right, wrong, or absolved of their responsibility. It isn't about that. It's about you being released because the person that you're not forgiving is not being wounded or hurt by your lack of forgiveness you are. It's about that decision and then that releasing. What is the name of your book, Eric? The book is Vision Blockers, How to Shatter Barriers to Achieve Your Destiny. And in the book, I talk about eight different blockers to vision, things like fear, things like healing the pain of your past. One chapter I call the Pharisee complex. Uh, in other words, cultural norms and expectations that we have that don't allow us to move into our vision. And I deal with a sin chapter, like what is missing the mark look like. And so Vision Blockers is a book that I wrote to help people who really know and believe that God has a bigger purpose, but can't simply see what that is. I'm sure that resonates with a lot of people. I would love 
to finish here by doing two things. First, how can people find out more about you and pick up your book, Eric? And then I'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please. So two places, you can go to ericscroggins.com to find out all about me and the coaching and consulting that we do. And if you're interested in the book, go directly to visionblockers.com and you can order a copy there and I'll send you a signed copy. I'd love to write a prayer for you and inscript that if you pick up a copy. Great. And so that's the two places that you can reach out to me and I'd love to walk with you if anything we've talked about today resonates with you. That's been our heart is just connect, even if it's just for prayer, just to just to be an encouragement to help people who have gone through what I've gone through or even similar experiences and just walk them through to their own level of success. Thank you for being open to offer that. Absolutely. If you could please pray for our listeners as we finish, Eric would really appreciate it. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, today. We know that you are Father that will never leave nor forsake. You stay closer than a brother. You're walking with us in those difficult times. You're healing our hearts. Your desperate desire is for 100% of us. And so, Father, I pray today for our listeners that have struggled, have been through trauma, have been through experiences, have gone through stuff. Father, you're the master of unraveling the stuff. And so, Father, I pray today that you would interject yourself into those lives, touch and inspire and encourage, Father, that you would help, that you would transform, Lord God, that you would give encounters that help us to realize there's more for us than struggling and wallowing in the pain and the shame and the guilt. Father, help us to see your plan and your destiny for us. Father, you are a merciful God, a gracious God, a sovereign God. And Lord, I just pray today for blessings around the world. Anyone that takes the time to listen to this episode, Father, bless them, inspire them, and help them. And God, I pray, Father, for major victories and overwhelming testimony. And God, we pray that you would bless in a powerful way. And God, I pray for Brian today as he continues to host this podcast and bless people and share stories. Father, let it be powerfully productive in the kingdom of God. And Father, we pray for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Eric, thank you for sharing your story. So powerful, so profound. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure to join you today. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.